0: Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsummerset.com. Last time we talked about how a plurality of elders function. Tonight we're going to talk about the qualities of an elder. How do you spot one? How would you identify someone that is uh, an elder? Um, Let's start out. Have you ever thought about what a spiritual leader looks like in a congregation? Now, 1 Timothy 3 is going to give us the answer to that, and you will see that the character qualities mentioned in this passage of Scripture, uh, in my opinion, should be viewed three ways. Number one, they apply specifically to leaders of the local church, like the pastor, And uh, and the staff, second, they apply in a general way to all Christians who are called to leadership in any arena because it's, you know, its character is the mark and we are to be examples. And then third, they apply to each one of us because they describe the kind of people that all of us should strive to be, okay? And so some of you may wonder what's an overseer or a bishop, which are words in the Bible, It's important to realize Paul used the terms elder, shepherd, and bishop, overseer interchangeably. Paul uses all three terms to refer to the same group of men in Acts 20, and Peter did the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, I like the the quote from uh, Adrian Rogers, elder speaks of maturity that exceeds the flock, shepherd speaks of ministry that feeds the flock, and bishop overseer speaks of management that leads the flock. Tonight, let's talk about how to identify qualified elders in a local church. Beginning in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, Paul says, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer or bishop or pastor, he desires a noble work. Um, Someone that aspires to be that has to have a desire And that desire comes from God. And so the first thing you want to look for is look for a call to ministry. Look for a call to ministry. Uh, They said that Spurgeon noted that the call to ministry begins with an intense, all-absorbing desire for the work. In other words, that comes from God. God puts a a God-given desire in your heart to serve Him, and when he puts that desire in your heart and places that call in your life, you're not going to be happy doing anything else. I'll just say it that way. Uh, I've heard through the years a lot of uh, men say, uh, matter of fact, I heard a gentleman yesterday say it. Um, I went to uh, High Street yesterday and heard Dan Summerlin, a uh, pastor from First Baptist Lone Oak in Paducah. He's in town this week, and uh, they had a pastor's thing yesterday. And he shared with us that his uh, oldest son, uh, a while back, surrendered to the ministry. And he says the first time, he he said, Dad, I'm going to surrender to preach. Mm. Second time, he came to him, hey, Dad, (laughs) I've surrendered to preach. Mm. Finally, the third time, he says, Dad... I just know this is what God wants me to do, and I'm going to do it. Okay, son, let's talk. (laughs) Usually the counsel is, if you can do something else, anything else, then by all means do it. But when you have a call from God, uh, it's going to be an aspiration based on a desire that He puts in your heart, and you won't be happy doing anything else. Now, the Bible teaches that God's call to ministry involves a few things. One is it starts with a compelling desire that God's going to give you there in 1 Timothy 3, 1. Then when people look at you to discern what God's doing in your life, there's going to be character to match the qualities for leadership that we're fixing to study here in verses 2 through 7. And then people want to see the, the Lord worked in and through your life, you know, um, the, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then lastly, a body of believers will confirm it. I love that verse in First Timothy 4, just to jump a chapter. First Timothy 4, verse 14, uh, Paul said, uh, Don't neglect the gift that's in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the counsel of elders. And so there you go. Now, let's look at the second thing. How to identify qualified elders in a local church? Number one, you look for a call to ministry. Number two, let God's word evaluate their integrity. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's read a couple of verses. It says in verse two An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable able to teach not an excessive drinker not a bully but gentle not quarrelsome not greedy and I'll stop there for for now because that's a it's a mouthful isn't it now we're going to look at this two sides we're going to look at the positive and the negative and let's look at the negative first you know in uh, in human resources when you go to a hiring manager they like to screen candidates to weed out all the The bad ones before they select the best one out of the good ones. And so let's look at how you can screen out potential leaders. Negative qualities to avoid there in verse 3. I'm going to skip to verse 3. I'll come back to verse 2 in a minute. But in verse 3, we have four nots. Not an excessive drinker, not a bully but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. So let's do those first. Negative qualities to avoid, uh, not an excessive drinker. Elders cannot have a drinking problem. Um, that should go without saying, but uh, that's, that's for sure. They cannot have a drinking problem. I like Proverbs 31, where um, the writer says, it's not for kings, Lemuel, it's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire beer. Otherwise, he will drink, forget what is decreed, and pervert justice for all the oppressed. Now, if it's not wise for a... King, who obviously has a huge responsibility of leadership on them, Uh, if it's not wise for them to drink lest it cloud their judgment, I would concur the same when it comes to being a spiritual leader. You don't want someone that's an excessive drinker. They can't have a drinking problem. Let's go on to the second one. The second one says, not a bully. Uh, Elders respond to others with a general approach, not a heavy hand. Uh, disputes aren't solved by force or coercion. I I love what um, Jesus said, and we talked about this probably two or three weeks ago, but just a refresher for you in Mark 10 when Jesus called the disciples over and he said, You know, those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, Uh, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them but it is not so among you. Remember when he said that? It's not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus defines how we should lead. We lead not by lording it over, We lead by serving, servant leadership. And so an elder can't be a bully. A third thing, a third negative quality to avoid, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, and not quarrelsome. Uh, Elders are peacemakers. They're not troublemakers. I love what one preacher said. He said, short tempers don't make long ministries. Isn't that true? Short tempers don't make long ministries. Uh, 2 Timothy Jump into the, the next uh, book there in the New Testament, Second 2 Timothy 2.23, Paul, in his second epistle to Timothy, says, Reject foolish and ignorant disputes, because you know they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach, and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, And then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. In other words, the Lord's servant can't quarrel with people, especially if they're talking about God's word and suppose the person's not even saved. Um, You've got to keep in mind the spiritual dynamics of the situation. You're not going to win people to the Lord by winning arguments. It just doesn't work that way. And so you can't be quarrelsome. The fourth negative quality to avoid is not greedy. Not greedy. In other words, elders are not greedy for money, but they're eager to serve. Later in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul said those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. Is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, having money is, is not a sin, not having money is not a sin, it's loving money. That's the difference, okay? Whether you have money or not, it's whether or not you love it. The love of money is the root of all evil. So, those are four negative qualities. You want to screen out of potential leaders in the church. You don't want them to, uh, to uh, have a drinking problem. You don't want them to be a bully. You don't want them to be a quarrelsome, and you don't want them to be greedy. Now let's look at the positive qualities to affirm. Going back to verse two, now, an overseer therefore must be above reproach. This really is the headline for everything else, okay, above reproach. Uh, Elders are not sinless, but they must be blameless. To be above reproach means there's nothing that you can fault them with in their life. There's nothing that you can lay claim to that sticks, okay, if you make an accusation. Let me give you an example of that. In the Old Testament, we have the story of Daniel in chapter 6, In Daniel 6, verse 3, it says Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit, so the king planned to set him over the whole realm. The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. They didn't want him to be promoted. But they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption was found in him, okay? That's, that's what it looks like when someone is above reproach. There's no negligence. There's no corruption. They are trustworthy. If they say they're going to do something, they do it. Now, let me piggyback a thought here that I think will shed some more insight into this. We've been going through the book of Titus on Sunday morning. We just finished chapter 2. And I want to point you back to Titus 2 for a moment. Three, three things are in Titus 2 that help us understand more of what it looks like when you're above reproach. In uh, Titus 2, verse 4 and 5, he was encouraging uh, the older women to encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind and in submission to their husbands so that God's word will not be slandered. If you live your life in such a way that people can't look at your life and slander God's Word, then that's above reproach, okay? Let's look at the next example in Titus 2.8. He says to Titus, he says, Paul says, your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. You know you're above reproach, when someone out there looking at your life doesn't have anything bad to say about you. Okay, that's above reproach. Uh, Then a a third example is there in Titus 2, 9 and 10. When he's talking to the slaves, he says, Slaves, submit to your masters in everything and be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating other faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. If your lifestyle... Uh, makes the teaching of God attractive, that's above reproach, okay? So that's the first thing, that's the headline of all the positive qualities uh, to affirm. I think that's the most important because it kind of sums everything up, uh, to be above reproach. Now the second quality there in verse 2 is to be the husband of one wife. We don't have time to talk for an hour about that. Um, Gordon and I, and the deacons and I, we've talked about this before, so this is nothing new when I share this. I've wrestled with this through the years. And uh, finally, I got to the point to where I didn't care who said what. I wanted to study the Word long enough to where things became clear to me. And so here's what I want to say about this. Elders are faithful to their wives because they're one-woman men. The issue of interpretation here is this. There are various interpretations on this particular phrase, husband and one wife, and they've been offered, uh, the the interpretations that have been offered evade the meaning of the standard. Some believe it's intended to exclude single men. Uh, Others have argued its intent is to forbid polygamy. I'll get that out in a minute. Others maintain it forbids remarriage after the death of a spouse. Still others hold that it automatically excludes divorced men from leadership, all of these interpretations have one thing in common. They focus on marital status, not moral character. And I believe the intent of this passage is moral character. Every one of the qualities, verses 2 through 7, are character-based, okay? And so here's how I read it. Follow the interpretive rules of context. I'll give you three reasons why I believe this is a one-woman man. When I was taught to interpret the Bible, you look at the the verse, you look at the passage, you look at the book. Regarding the verse, the two nouns are without the definite article in the Greek, which means it emphasizes character or nature. In other words, the issue is moral character, not marital status. Um, Regarding the passage, the passage like This specific passage, verse 1 through 7, about about overseers. The qualities for spiritual leaders serve as a character sketch, not a legal checklist. The composite picture enables a congregation to identify leaders within the church. Many times what's done in practice is a church looks at this one, one, one element and makes sure that we have people that... Uh, are married to only one woman, and it doesn't matter what kind of uh, state their marriage is in, as long as they don't uh, cuss or chew or kiss those that do, they're good, right? You know what I'm talking about. And so here, when you look at the book as a whole, and this is the thing that, that convinced me the most, regarding the issue of divorce, we cannot be dogmatic because there's two exceptions for it in the Bible. One is adultery and one is abandonment. And so, if I am looking at someone, I want to know their story. If they've been divorced, I want to know why. If it's because their mate committed adultery on them, they're, they're free. That's what the scripture says. If they uh, were married and became a Christian and then their, belief, uh, their mate was an unbeliever and walked away, they're no longer bound. That's what scripture says. You have to find out the story. The the other thing that convinces me the most is when you look at 1 Timothy, there are three character sketches, one for uh, overseers here in chapter 3, one for deacons in chapter 3 verses 8 through 12, and then a third one for widows in 1 Timothy chapter 5. And if you look at that uh, in 1 Timothy 5 verse 9, it says, "...no widow is to be enrolled on the list for support." unless she's at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband, and then it goes into other qualities. Now, if you read all of 1 Timothy 5, you'll discover something. You'll discover that Paul counsels the younger widows to remarry, to settle down, to love their husbands, raise their kids, and and be productive and not be a busybody. So, here's my hypothetical. Say you're a young lady... And your husband dies when you're young. You're a younger widow. Paul counsels you to remarry, settle down, love your husband, raise your kids, live a productive, meaningful life. And so you do. And then one fine day, you get past 60 years of age, and you lose your husband. He dies. Now you're an older older widow. This same younger widow that was told to remarry because she's young is now older. Is she going to be excluded from this list because she's the wife of one husband, two husbands? You get the idea. And so, polandry is even rarer than polygamy. So, I really do believe the intent of this passage is a one-woman man, and that's that. So, we'll go on. Uh, another positive quality to affirm. Above approach, husband and one wife, The next one is self-controlled. Your Bible translation, depending on what you're using, it might actually say temperate. And I like that word temperate. Uh, The idea here is that elders are not rattled. They are calm under pressure. Um, The verb of this word temperate, self-controlled, it's used in 2 Timothy 4, 5. Where in the NIV particularly, Paul tells Timothy to keep your head in all situations. And so, be calm under pressure. Um, A temperate person is cool, calm, and collected, especially in a moment of crisis. Let's go to the next positive quality. Sensible. Elders exercise good judgment without reacting in a foolish manner. Now, these two build on each other. If you if you have self-control, which means you're calm under pressure, then when you have to exercise a judgment call, you do it in a wise fashion without reacting in a foolish manner. Uh, the, this quality is the result of being temperate. I like what Ray Pritchard said. He says that. He's a great man to have around when a tough decision needs to be made because he doesn't jump to conclusions or act on the basis of his emotions. That is a sensible person. Let's look at the fifth quality to affirm, and that is respectable. It says that an uh, an overseer must be respectable. Uh, Elders gain the respect of others because of their godly example. I love what Paul told the church in Corinth, imitate me. As I imitate Christ. Um, One pastor says the word cosmos, from which this word comes from, is the opposite of chaos. In other words, a spiritual leader must not have a chaotic, but an orderly lifestyle. If he can't order his own life, how can he bring order to the church? The sixth positive quality to affirm is hospitable. Uh, Elders open their heart and their homes to others. Now, hospitality is something that was practiced back in Bible times. They didn't have Holiday Inns and Best Westerns and put in your favorite uh, hotel chain if you want. Uh, whenever Christians traveled, they would uh, usually depend on the hospitality of other Christian people. And that's how it worked. And so in Romans twelve thirteen it says, Share with the saints and their needs. Pursue hospitality. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 9, Be hospitable to one another Without complaining, you know, like you have a knock on the door and it's dinner time and you're fixing to eat and here comes three or four people. We'll just pull up a chair, help yourself, right? You know, do ho- be hospitable uh, without complaining, okay? And so even, uh, as Newt Larson says, even if our guests don't require a bed or a meal, we should provide them with a warm, accepting atmosphere, a place of refuge. That's hospitality. And then the seventh quality to affirm in an overseer, is able to teach. Uh, elders demonstrate an ability to teach God's Word. Let me add a little color to that. In Titus 1.9, where it also talks about the qualities of an elder, it says that they are to hold to the faithful messages taught so that they will be able to both encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict it. Alexander Strock says this, An elder must be able to open his Bible... Okay? You don't have to be a theologian. Okay, You don't have to know everything there is to know in the Bible. I don't know anybody that does. But it says an elder must be able to open their Bible and exhort and encourage others from it. He must be able to discern false doctrine and refute it with Scripture. God's Word brings growth to the church and protects it from falsehood. And therefore, shepherd elders must be able to teach God's Word. So we've been talking about how to identify qualified elders in the church. We talked about looking for a call to ministry. That's number one. We've looked at letting God's Word evaluate their integrity, and we spent some time in verses 2 and 3. Negative qualities to avoid, positive qualities to affirm. Now number three, look at how they lead their family. Let's pick up in verse 4 and 5. He must manage his own household competently, and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? You know, in, uh, in John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress book, uh, there's a character called Talkative, and he's described as a saint abroad and a devil at home. This can happen. You can play the part of a leader at church, But at home, where we're most known, most real, and most vulnerable, that's when our true nature is exposed, and so failure in the home indicates serious trouble, and so you have to take care of home before you can lead others. Or as Adrian Rogers says, if you ain't getting it done at home, don't export it. I love that, okay? Okay. Lynn Anderson says, if a man's life cannot stand the scrutiny of his wife and kids, we dare not put our souls under his care. If he's not able to maintain healthy relationships at home, why would the church want his advice, much less his spiritual leadership? And I like what Ray Pritchard says. Uh, this doesn't mean that they have a perfect marriage. doesn't mean that they have a perfect family. Matter of fact, here's what, she, here's what tells you all you need to know about somebody's character, and leadership. Ray Preachard says, family problems should not automatically disqualify a man from spiritual leadership. It's not what happens, but how they respond that makes all the difference, okay? Because nobody has perfect anything. And so, when something happens, how do you handle it? How do you deal with it? You know, if you hide it, if you cover it up, if you deny it, whoa, that's a problem. You know, the problem is how you're handling the problem. But if you deal with the problem, That's commendable. How to identify qualified elders in a local church. Look for a call to ministry. Let God's word evaluate their integrity. Look at how they lead their family. Number four, learn about their maturity. This is verse six. In verse six, it says, he must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. I think you've heard me tell this story. The first church I ever pastored, they had uh, about 60 people and they had one deacon. And so we had fun with that. Chad Crockett was his name. Me and Brother Chad, we'd talk after church and I'd tell everybody we had a deacons meeting. He made a motion and I second. We got it done. (laughs) Gordon got it. But anyway... um, he was a great man, and um, you know we would uh, we had fun with that. But in all seriousness, when I went to my first church, the first church I ever pastored, they uh, told me after the second week that I preached there, they said, "Just consider this your church. We're looking for a pastor. We we want you to be our pastor, but it's going to take a while." And I said, "It's going to take a while." And they said, "Well, it's going to take a while." So I was very young. And so I didn't say much. But after about a month, I said, so what's taking a while? And what happened was about four or five months before I was even there, this older gentleman in the community came, wandered in, came for a couple weeks, and he got saved. He made a profession of faith. They immediately put him on the nominating committee, which automatically qualified him for being on the pastor search committee. Okay. They didn't have a lot of men in the church. Here's a man. We're going to put him in these positions. This guy was a hothead. He had an anger problem. His his temper could go from zero to 90 like that, like he's on fire. And so their first meeting, they said, hey, you know, we want to call Brother Corey's our pastor. He, He got offended. They didn't ask him what he thought. And he said, nope, I'm not doing it. And without a unanimous decision from a committee, guess what? Didn't go anywhere. So you know what they did? He got mad and he left. They waited until they knew he wasn't coming back. And then they called me as pastor 100%. True story. Can't make this stuff up. I need to write a book someday, Gordon. I really do. Maybe you and I both can write a book. (laughs) Oh, Newt Larson said this. He says, though a recent convert may be adept in finances or business management, for church leadership, there's a more fundamental requirement, and that is the spiritual depth of the individual that can only develop persistently and faithfully over time. Paul recognized that the new believer who had an undeveloped faith could easily become proud if thrust too quickly into church leadership. You know, I can, I can remember a few years ago, probably a couple of decades ago, and since this is streamed, I won't name names, but I can remember a well-known athlete celebrity that made a profession of faith. And his pastor, who's well-known nationally, uh, said, come here, you're going to stay under my leadership because he didn't want this guy to say, oh, I'm a Christian now, I'm just going to launch out and do this stuff because he's known and he's a celebrity and all of those things. He knew that if he just let him just follow his impulses, pride could get the better of him. So he put the brakes on him and said, you're going you're to be under my leadership and under my wing for a while. Uh, Ray Pritchard says it this way, it takes a lifetime to grow a good leader. So don't spoil the process by elevating someone too soon. So much of what we need to know can't be learned quickly, nor can it be learned in a classroom, and the things that really matter are discovered only in the laboratory of life. And so it takes time. Okay, it takes time. How to identify qualified elders in a local church? Look for a call to ministry. Let God's Word evaluate their integrity. Look at how they lead their family. Learn about their maturity. And the fifth and final point here. Listen to those in the community. Look at verse 7. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. I like what Second Corinthians 6 3 says. Uh, Paul was talking to the church at Corinth. He said, We're not giving anyone an occasion for offense so that the ministry will not be blamed. I like even better what the old NIV says. Same, same verse. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Okay, Don't put a stumbling block in somebody's path so that your ministry is discredited. When you look at people in the community, um, they ought to go, yeah, that's a, that's a godly person. I like what Ray Pritchard says. He says, the phrase good reputation is literally good witness. In other words, what kind of witness do you have with people outside the church? All all too often we neglect to consider a man's reputation in the community, but sometimes the voice of people can be the same as the voice of God. And so this touches a man's reputation, uh, his neighbors, his friends, his co-workers, even his non-Christian buddies. The godly leader ought to be admired by those outside the church. They may not understand why you do what you do, but they notice there's a difference. So how can we live in such a way that our reputation enhances our testimony of Christ and doesn't take away from it? Now, let's kind of back up for a minute. I've gave you a whole lot here. We've plowed a, a field pretty good. So we've looked at a character sketch on how to identify a spiritual leader in the church. I've given you five things to look at. Five 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 ways of looking at their life. You know, I remember uh there used to be a men's shop. When I was growing up, there was a men's shop there in my in my town, and anytime I had to go get ties or a suit or whatever, I went to the men's shop. Matter of fact, I can remember in the county I grew up in, just about every small town had a men's shop. If they didn't have what you was looking for, you could go 10, 12 miles down the road, and there was another one. Now I can go to those same communities, and there ain't any more men's shops anymore, but that's a whole other story. But you go to that men's shop, and you try on a suit or whatever it is you're just trying on, and they had like this uh, inlet here. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. It's got like a three or four way mirror, and you walk, you step in there, and I see more of me than I've ever wanted to see. You know what I'm talking about? You see me from this side and that side and this side and that side. Well, that's what I think of when I think of this character sketch. A lot of times when we look at someone, we're like, oh man, we're kind of like, uh, remember Samuel when, when he was told by God to go to the house of Jesse and anoint the next king, and so he... He went to Jesse, the father, and said, I want you to bring all your sons because God's told me to, to anoint one of them as king. And here come the oldest. And he went, oh, he looks so kingly, right? Oh, this has got to be him. Nope, that's not the one, says the Lord. Well, maybe it's the next one. And you know the story. He went through every everyone. Finally, the prophet said, you got any more boys? Well, yeah, just a scrawny runt. He's out in the field. We'll call him. And as soon as they brought David in, who was the youngest of the family, the Holy Spirit said, that's the one, that's the one. You see, we like to judge by appearances, but God knows the heart. And so when it comes to the character sketch of a leader, we might look at their life from one angle and go, man, they look like they've got it all together. But you've got to look at all of these angles. Do they have a call to ministry? Have they answered God's call to serve? If you want a leader to serve, then look at people that are serving. Don't don't give somebody that's not serving a title and think that's going to make them serve because it doesn't work that way. Okay, So look at people that are already serving. When it comes to integrity, Are they above reproach? Is there anything in their life that someone could point at and go, that's a problem? Now, again, they don't have to be perfect. None of us are. But they must be above reproach. The the third angle is family. Look at how they lead their family. If they can't lead their family well, they're not going to lead the church well. I mean, that's what Scripture basically says. And then maturity. When you look at someone's maturity, look at how they've handled things in life. Uh, Maturity is one of those things that we demonstrate when things go sideways. Things get crazy and we don't. Okay? Oh, yeah, I saw this person the other day and... You know, he knocked on the door and they came to the door and they were angry and they just really gave him, I mean, they chewed him up one side and down the other. And you know what? He just smiled and prayed for them and went right on. That's maturity, okay? That's maturity. So have they demonstrated growth in Christ likeness over time? And then the fifth area is a reputation in the community. Do they have a good witness among those that are outside the faith? So when you look at this character sketch, it's like a five-sided mirror. And it's critical look, to look at all five areas of a man's life when in, evaluating, is this person fit for leadership? Now, let me kind of bring this to a point here. What I would challenge you tonight is this. You might say, well, Corey, I appreciate you breaking this down, but uh, and this can be helpful for the church when it comes to, you know, knowing what a, a leader looks like, but that's not my my calling. That's not what I want to be, or I don't want that responsibility, so thanks, but no thanks. Um, before you write this off as saying, well, this, this has no relevance to my life. You've given me some information, but that's all. Let me say this. Um, these leaders are to be examples to the flock, okay? And so they, by example, live a life that all of us should aspire to be. We should all aspire to have a good reputation in the community. We should all aspire to mature in our faith and in our grow up in our salvation. We should aspire to have a healthy, godly home. We should aspire to be People of integrity that are above reproach, okay, and we should aspire to serving God in ever how He has called us and gifted us to serve. So, in that sense, this this touches all of us, and so I want to challenge you tonight to look at these seven verses sometime this week, and ask God to search your heart as you stand before this five way mirror. Of the scriptures, are you clear on your calling? Is there a character flaw that the Holy Spirit wants you to be honest with Him about and address? Is there a um, is there an issue in your family that you need to you know pay attention to and deal with rather than letting it fester? Is there a maturity issue? Have you been growing in the Lord, or are you kind of stagnant and stuck? And what about your reputation among those outside the faith? Let the Holy Spirit search your heart. Let Him identify an area that you may need to deal with and then have the courage to act. One last scripture I'll close with, Psalm 139. It ends with a prayer, and this is my challenge for you to pray this prayer to God this week. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Well, Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight. I pray that you would search our hearts. Lord, that you would put a spotlight on whatever issue in our lives right now that you're convicting us of that we need to pay attention to so that we can watch our lives and make sure that we're closing the gap between our talk and our walk. Father, I pray that you give us the courage to trust you, to obey you, and to be faithful to you. Father, have your will and your way in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.